Thank you for coming. You this always feels like a homecoming when I come back to Church of the King. I had a, a small part in helping start this church. I didn't do the hard work. That was Ron and the other elders, but he very graciously asked for oversight and accountability, and I'm just amazed at all that God has done and is doing and anticipate what he's going to do in the future. See all of you and just old friends. Well, I don't mean you're old. Well, some of you are. But But I mean the friendship is old. We've been friends a long time. Glad my dear wife Sharon could come. I was talking to one of my friends and said I was planning to come and he said, well, don't bother unless you bring Sharon. And I told him, everybody's saying that. So I'm glad I was able to bring her. She's such a blessing to my life and the lives of so many people. A wonderful minister's wife, just like your pastor's wife, is the most important member of the church. Don't forget that. Um, <clears throat> this is a great church. And no, I'm not saying that just because I'm preaching here or because my friends are here. Sadly, however, this church is an exception. Truly, there are 7,000 prophets, churches, many more than that, that haven't bowed the knee to the Baal of the age. But sadly, most have in our own time. It won't always be that way. There's coming a great revival and reformation. But we do live in a time when in America, there's great apostasy in the church. So thank the Lord for this church that loves the word of God that loves Jesus Christ, that holds on to the old-fashioned biblical reformation faith in these times. Thank the Lord that you have musicians, Dave, you and you other musicians, that sing music that exalts Jesus Christ, glorifies the Father, is filled with the Spirit. So tired of going into evangelical churches today and to see the laser light show. And to hear such muddled music that sounds more appropriate to an elevator in a department store. <laughs> a wonderful, inspiring, God-honoring music. And what an inspired and inspiring music leader you have. I see most of these guys up there trying to lead and they're just, oh, I don't know, man. I was up late last night, but I love Jesus. Thank God for Dave and his enthusiasm and his love for the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. Well, today's Father's Day, as you know, so I thought I'd preach a, a Father's Day message. You know, uh, fathers uh, in general, and uh, men in general, fathers in particular, are under relentless attack today. You ever notice, try this sometime, in the movies and on TV, how men are depicted today. I mean in almost every case, depicted as cruel or weak, just lecherous, adulterous, unfaithful, or abusive to women, or irresponsible. 
And sadly, we do have, and we've seen in the news the last couple of years, very high-profile men that have harassed women, mistreated women. But from there follows this sort of general criticism of basically all men as being evil or bad. That is a lie. There are many, many godly men in the world today. Many of them sitting in this room. They would never mistreat a woman. They would never harm a woman. They would never harass a woman. They would never abuse a woman or children or anyone else. They would die before they did that. So don't allow the cultural Marxism and the progressives of our age who love to attack men to teach you anything else or influence you. You know what is behind this attack on fathers? The real attack is on God the Father. And his human representatives, godly representatives in the earth. They can't destroy God the Father, so they attempt to destroy human fathers. The attack on God's hierarchy and God's plan. They want to destroy all of God's authority in the earth. Well, I have a message for them. They can wreak havoc, but they won't succeed. They're fighting a losing battle. You fight God, guess what? You always lose. And they will lose. Thank God for that. Today, for just a few brief moments, I'd like for us to consider the most important earthly father ever. Certainly in the Bible, and I guess that means ever. We might think that that most important earthly father would be Joseph, uh, the father of Jesus. But as you know, he wasn't really the father of Jesus. Uh, He was, in a sense, an earthly father and reared Jesus uh, as a son. But I think that by far the most emphasized, most important, frequently discussed father, earthly father in the Bible is Abraham. My message today is very simple then. I'm going to preach today about a wonderful example for us fathers. I'm going to preach about Father Abraham. Frank's read Galatians 3, 1 through 9, but let's turn there. I'd like to read one or two verses, just repeat them from Galatians 3. In Sunday school, I read the last few verses, but now let's look at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Let's just read... uh, Verses 7 through 9. Verses 7 through 9 of Galatians chapter 3. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul is showing in this passage that salvation is not in the Mosaic law. Don't misunderstand. The Bible always exalts the law as such. But it never teaches that we are saved by keeping the law. Even the Old Testament taught that we're saved by trusting in the Messiah, by casting our faith on him. That's not a New Testament doctrine. 
That's a doctrine first expressed in the Old Testament. That's what the New Testament tells us. However, this glorious salvation, though it's in Christ who came in the period we know as the New Testament, is rooted in the Old Testament. It's not rooted in Moses. It's rooted in somebody older than Moses. It's rooted in Abraham. And the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. So there's several points about that I want to make today. And I hope that we can be exhorted and encouraged and rebuked if necessary. First, Abraham is called the father of the faithful because Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Abraham was a faith-rich man. Oh, you read in Hebrews chapter 11 how this was a great man of faith. When we look at him, he failed every once in a while, and it seemed he didn't have faith. But when you looked at the whole of his life, Abraham was a man who lived in faith. God says, I want you to do this. Obey me. And Abraham didn't say, well, I can't see what's going on. Abraham said, yes, sir, I'll obey. And God blessed Abraham because he was a man of faith. We read in Genesis chapter 12 that God came to Abraham And he promised him a great nation that there would be of his descendants so many, a multitude, like the stars of heaven and like the sand on the sea. And they would have their own land. He would put them in their own glorious, resplendent land. And most importantly of all, that they would be his unique people of all the people of the earth. Now, understand this about faith. Faith in the Christian life is an absolute imperative. It's foundational to everything else. If Satan can destroy our faith and make us weak in faith, when we read the Word of God and we say, oh, it doesn't seem so real to us. When we get up on Sunday mornings and we say, well, I don't know, maybe all this stuff in the church is not that important. When we read the promises of the Word of God and we say, well, I prayed a little while and God didn't answer, maybe I'm just going to stop. When that happens... We're starting to lose the faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. It doesn't say it's hard. It says it's impossible. He that comes to God must believe that he is, but not just that. Obviously, you have to believe in God, but you also must believe in your heart that he will reward those who diligently seek. Fathers, do we have faith in God, not just as God exists? Yes, we believe God exists, but that he will reward those who seek him. Do you need rewarded? Do you need prayers answered, desperate prayers? Maybe you need physical healing. You need provision. I don't mean the health and wealth gospel. I don't mean the prosperity gospel. You might need a new vehicle. I've got to get to work. I've got to get to church. Or Lord, I've got a great sin in my life and I must get victory. Lord, whatever it is, please, have you cried out to God and not simply cried out to God, but tried, cried out to God in trusting faith. Lord, I know in confidence you will do exactly what you said. God blesses that faith. We read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. God came to Abram, made these promises, and I love these words in English, the two words. Abraham departed. Abraham departed. The words in Hebrews 11 are, God came to Abraham, and it said, then Abraham obeyed. Ask, now think about this for a minute. Abraham wasn't some great godly spiritual man. (laughs) Not at the beginning. He was just one of among all of these pagans. 
living with his family in the ancient world, the ancient tribes, they all lived together. Ancient tribal faith. Ancient tribal pagan religion. And God came to him. We don't know how. Audibly, somehow, God revealed to him these glorious promises. And do you know what he did? Abraham didn't say, well, that's just... Yes, I have this impression by this what seems to be a God of heaven, but I'm not going to just leave my family here. I'm not... That would be crazy. No. Abraham obeyed. And he left. Do you understand how momentous that decision was? Do you understand that humanly speaking, in many ways, the gospel got to you and me, got to you and me, because thousands of years ago, that man obeyed in faith. He stepped out in faith, and God blessed him for his obedience. Godly men do that. Your pastor and I were talking about all that's just happened here. Just, the church started with just a handful of people back, was it 2001, 2002, 2003, something like that? And now just all of this, do you know why you had men, you had a leader who said, let's step out in faith. Let's, not recklessness, not stupidity, but we can't see it, but let's step out in faith. God blesses faith. God does not bless unbelief. This is not name and claim it. But if you see something that's holy and righteous and good, say, God, this is something that we need and would honor you and advance your kingdom. Move forward in faith. Move forward in faith. Obey the word of God. Oh, fathers, how much hinges on an act of your obedient faith. Fathers, believe God. Bank on God's promises. If God said it in his word, you can trust that he will do what he said. God honors faith. He promised that we would have godly descendants. Even if some get older and they begin to depart and they fail miserably. That's all right. Hold God to his promises. There are a number of places in the word of God where God allows things to go a little haywire in people's lives. He does. Case of Gideon. God came to Gideon one time and says, Gideon, listen to me. I want you to lead my people. And you know what Gideon said? Gideon was a smart guy. He said, if you're the real guy, where are all the promises? You know what God didn't say? God didn't say, how dare you say that. God actually is pleased when we say that to him because that means that we take his promises seriously. And if you have children that have strayed or God has delayed in answering, go before him and say, these are your promises. When will you answer me, O God? We see in Revelation, the saints cry out. What do they say? How long, O Lord? And the answer comes, just a little while. Don't worry. And I will answer. Some of you need provision, a job. You're going through real difficulties. You need God to answer. Live in faith. Fathers, live in faith. Fathers, your wife and your children need to see you trusting God and acting on that promise. Let me convey to you a little secret. If you men, including you leaders in the church, will step out in faith, just manifesting a little faith, it's amazing how you can encourage faith in people around you. You ever notice how people are often sort of discouraged and despondent because of an illness or because of a setback? You meet them and they're just down for some reason. And just a small word of encouragement. No, it's going to be okay. 
God is still on the throne. And you think, what was I discouraged about? That's right. I don't know what I was thinking about. For three days, I was depressed. But I, I shouldn't have been depressed. Right, you shouldn't have been. And it only takes a small word of encouragement, of encouraging faith. So fathers, do that with your wife. Do that with your family. Keep them in the church. Keep them in good biblical order with great kindness, but with firmness. Teach them the word of God. You probably know about the old Puritans. They taught that every father is the pastor of his own little church. Your family. Isn't it a beautiful truth? One of the dear ladies this morning remembered what I said last time. Remember, God cast the lines of election in the loins of godly parents. That's an old Puritan saying, by the way. God casts the lines of election in the loins of godly parents. So if you today say, well, I'm just not sure if my children are elect. Know this. God gives us children. God gives us children to fulfill his plan of election. God doesn't give us children to damn them. God gives us children so that they will advance his kingdom. So rejoice and trust God for his covenant promises. I read this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. God says, For I have known him, Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him. God knew what Abraham would do. And God caused Abraham to be a man of faith. Fathers, we know our sins and we know our frailty and our weaknesses. But be encouraged. Stand on the covenant promises of the word of God. This church will only be as strong as the fathers and men within it. Fathers and fathers to be one day. Know this, weak men make for weak churches. Mm -hmm. Would you like to know why so many evangelical churches today, and I see this, I, I go in them and I'm just amazed. It's the women have to do all of the music. And the women have to do all of the teaching. And the women seem to be strong. And their hearts given to the Lord. And at the time they sing, the women are, the, are singing. And the men are... And I don't think in most cases women would prefer that. Godly women want strong men not to abuse them or put them down. But as great partners... Strong men to lead so that they can come by their side and say, I want to be with you and want to follow you and strengthen you. And I want us together to advance the kingdom of God. That's what godly women want. They don't want little weakling guys following behind. They want godly men that they can follow. Not that would mistreat them or abuse them or put them down, but that they can join together with. That's what the Bible teaches. So, I would say to you young men, those of you who one day will be husbands and fathers, read and relish the Word of God. Say, well, I don't have time for that because I'm spending two and a half hours gaming every day. A newsflash, if you have time to spend on Facebook, you have time to read a chapter of the Bible. Everybody has time to read at least a chapter, more than that, but at least a chapter of the Word of God every day. And my wife and I are on the road. What we do, even if we have to get up early, 
We will read the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, the proverb and the psalm corresponding to that day. At least we listen to that. So the Word of God is in your mind and in your heart all the time. Young men, relish the Word of God. Scripture says, how will a young man cleanse his way? You want to live a clean life? By taking heed to the Word of God. But you can't take heed to the Word of God if you don't know the Word of God. Young men, if you know all these musical artists and all the games, but you can't recite the books of the Bible, shame on you. You need to know the Word of God. I would say to you young men and young ladies... Do not postpone your devotion. Some young people think, well, you know, when I get to be married, then I'll really be really faithful to the Lord and read the Word and pray. But while I'm, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I kind of want to have fun. Then later on, I'll settle down and be a good Christian. Trust me, it doesn't happen that way. When you're a teenager, you're establishing patterns for the rest of your life. And a lot of those people who, when they were 16, said, oh, when I'm married, then I'll start serving God, are now 15, 60 years old, saying, what in the world happened? Life got away from me. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. Abraham's faith sustained him in his great trials. Of course, the greatest trial of his life is when God asked him to sacrifice his son. God gave him a son miraculously in his old age, and then God asked him to sacrifice his son to test his faith, to see whom he loved more. You can imagine how he loved Isaac, the son of his old age. That was, of course, a test of faith. You might wonder how Abraham was not overcome with despair. I've heard preachers say from time to time, you can imagine how slowly Abraham was going up to the mount taking his son and how he was so heavily burdened and how he could hardly bear the burden. I know it was difficult, but I'm not quite sure that he was just overwhelmed. And let me tell you why. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19 says this. Abraham knew that no matter what happened, God is able to raise the dead. So even if God allowed him to kill his own son, Abraham believed God that he was going to have a seed. And the seed would have a multitude of descendants. So even if Isaac had died, what did Abraham know? God is going to keep his promises. He will raise him from the dead. Abraham believed God, and that's why God blessed him. Second and quickly, Abraham's faith necessarily led to righteous works. In James chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, we read that Abraham was not justified only by faith, but by works. Now, some people might want to cut that out of the Bible. Luther wanted to kind of cut that out of the Bible. But do you believe all of the Bible is the inspired word of God? Every jot, every tittle, all of it, then that is a part of the Bible. Abraham was not justified by any works righteousness as though his goodness could impress God. But he was justified by faith righteousness. A faith, a true faith in God, trusting in him and him alone. And that true faith is always full of good works. 
And know this, there is no godly faith without godly works. The book of James is so clear on that. I want to issue to us a warning. All of us have people that are close to us, maybe immediate family or extended family and friends, people that we know, and they claim to be Christians. And yet they're never a part of a church. They never come to church. They never read the Word of God. They live lives of sin. Externally, they look just like everybody else in the world. And yet we sort of hold out a little hope. Well, you know, I remember one time that they got baptized, or I remember one time that they said they were a Christian. Or simply, they claim to be a Christian. That means something, doesn't it? No, it actually doesn't. There are a lot of people that claim to be Christians that are not. I can promise you on the authority of the Word of God, faith without works is dead. Yes, there are people that claim to be Christian that are not. So, well, Andrew, I don't know. We really have to be careful expressing that. No, we don't. No, we don't. James wasn't careful. And in fact, Paul wasn't careful. And the writer of Hebrews wasn't careful. The writer of Hebrews says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That doesn't mean perfectly holy like God. Only God is perfectly holy. It means a life dominated by holiness. But if you have people that go year after year after year and care nothing for the word of God, care nothing for the church of God, care nothing for the gospel of Jesus Christ, live lives full of rebellion against God, I can assure you, I don't care what they say, they're not believers. Because believers have the Holy Spirit inside them. And they have an appetite. Know this. True Christians have an appetite for the things of God. We sang these these wonderful songs. Didn't your heart just rejoice as we sang? If you're a true Christian, your heart was saying, isn't it wonderful to praise God, to sing these glorious songs? That's how a Christian responds. Doesn't mean we can't go away from the Lord, but you know what happens when we start to go away from the Lord? God sends out his bloodhounds and grabs us and brings us back. We live in a deeply antinomian age. Grace has become a disgrace. Some of you know and have heard that even in the last few weeks that a group within even the conservative Presbyterian Church in America has held a conference arguing that unrepentant sexual sin is compatible with following Jesus. And they say we need to reach out and minister to all of, our, all of those among us that are gay Christians. You say, well... Shouldn't we minister to homosexuals? Oh, yes. And be kind to them and gracious to them and get the gospel to them so that they can be saved. And if Christians, can they fall into that sin? Oh, yes. But there's no such category as gay Christians. You have a category, well, alcoholic Christians. They just continually drink and destroy people's lives for 20 years, but they're a Christian. Do you see that in the Word of God? No. No. Oh, what a lawless age we live in. And you know what's so sad? These people talk about the gospel, but I'm going to tell you something. They don't believe in the power of the gospel. If you really believe in the gospel, then you know the gospel changes lives. The gospel just doesn't take people to heaven. The gospel's designed to change people's lives. And if it's not powerful enough to change people's lives, it's not the biblical gospel. Biblical gospel changes lives. And then finally, 
the true seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ. We read that in Galatians 3.29. All of those great promises to Abraham are fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are some people who teach that salvation in the Old Testament was by works and the law. But salvation in the New Testament is by grace and that's not necessary to obey. Well, that's wrong on both counts. It's amazing. Antinomians and wrong on every side. Every side. It's remarkable. The Old Testament taught salvation entirely by the grace of God in the one in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The New Testament teaches the same thing. And they were called to a life of obedience. Paul's whole point is that we must be justified just as Abraham was justified. I love what Jesus said in John 8, 56, as he was talking to the Jews who said, Oh, Abraham is our father. You know what he said to them? Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. To all of these people who misunderstand, you can assert to them, Abraham was a Bible-believing Christian. He may not have known Jesus Christ's name, but the Bible's very clear. The Old Testament saints, they drank of that drink. And what was that great spiritual drink that they drank of? They drank of Jesus Christ, we read in, in Corinthians. They drank of the Messiah. Abraham trusted Jesus Christ and was a faith-filled believer. And we inherit all the promises of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. We join the family and we get the inheritance. My friends, this affects how we read the Word of God. You realize when we read the book of Numbers, promises to the people of God, we're reading promises to us. I love when Paul says he's talking about (coughs) ministers and caring for ministers. And he says, when you read the...